Welcome to the Victoria's Counselor Podcast. I'm Victoria, a licensed therapist in the state of Georgia. This podcast discusses mental health, the intersection of science and scripture, and assists my listeners in walking in victory. Give me a follow on Instagram at the Victoria's Counselor. And if you love what you hear, hit that subscribe button. Hope you enjoy. What is up, Victorious listeners? Welcome back to the Victorious Counselor podcast and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. If you're a mom and you're also a Victorious listener, I'm sending you extra special love today, okay? (laughs) Hope you all enjoyed your day, had some good time, ate some good food, and just got to relax. It's been a really interesting time for me on this end. Um... I was a little under the weather this weekend, which put me behind some things, unfortunately. Uh, That wasn't that fun. But the better news is that I got a recent promotion at my job that will give me the opportunity to train new therapists at our agency, which is right up my alley. If you've been listening to the podcast so far, I really like to teach and train and talk. Um, And I'm in the process of planning some pretty dope episodes for this podcast, so be on the lookout. There are some really great things happening. Um, great things in store for us. So today is the day that we get into the question and answer session of trauma and the brain biblical implications. And I had a 101, 201, and 301. So if you haven't listened, please pause this, go back, listen to those episodes, because if you don't, this episode won't really make sense. <laughs> um This question and answer segment, I thought would give us a way of putting a nice pretty bow on the subject for now, um, some good closure, and officially transition to some different topics that I wanted to cover in my first season of the podcast. I was able to get a good number of questions and going to be transparent with you all. Um, The Holy Spirit really moved because I remember getting one question and thinking, I really have no idea how to answer this, Um, but I'm happy to say that I have answers for the questions asked, and I think that's pretty incredible. Let's get into our first question, which had to do with the handy-dandy model of the brain, (laughs) pun intended. Um, This question was actually asked several times, a few different ways, so I asked it in the way that pretty much covered everyone's question for the most part. Um, And I want to add that somebody asked me to go over the hand model of the brain again. And I'm going to politely say, hey, go check out episode two of season one, the very first installment of Trauma in the Brain, Biblical Implications, because I I go into it in detail in that episode. And I am leery about explaining concepts too quickly under explaining and not doing it justice. I do believe in being concise and being able to teach something concisely. However, sometimes there's just no shortcuts and we got to just have the full explanation and understand the full explanation. So for those of you all who were of that camp that wanted to hear that explained again, visit the second episode, rewind, visit the show notes for the second episode. I put the link for Dr. Dan Siegel's hand model explanation in the in, in the show notes. It's a YouTube video. Watching that might help too, might help explain the concept. Um, but I'm going to get into the first question. So the first question is, 
why would I even need to use the hand model of the brain? Which is a great question. Um, And once again, if you're unsure what I'm talking about, listen to my second episode this season, Trauma in the Brain 101, and I go over the hand model. I mentioned in that episode that it's widely used as a teaching tool, and I left out why. Um, So I appreciate this question. Shout out to those of the victorious listeners who wanted to know and ask. I want to give credit to Dr. Dan Siegel for a big bulk of this answer, but some of this answer is also coming from me in my heart too. Um, But simply put, the hand model of the brain makes the brain easier to understand, right? So we want to be able to understand how the brain works and what happens when we're traumatized, because if we can understand how it works, we could understand how to treat slash prevent the long lasting effects of trauma. Let's get specific with this example so we can drive the point home. If we know that the frontal lobes, so if we're looking at our, our fist brain, so once again, you're going to have your fist, um, left or right fist, your thumb's going to be tucked under your four fingers, <laughs> four fingers. That's funny. Um, remember that the frontal lobes, so this is the lid or the top fingers, um, if you're looking at your hand model of the brain. The frontal lobe goes offline when a trauma happens. This will also inform us and let us know that we're not fully able to tap into the most rational parts of our brains in a crisis situation. I want to tie in that our non-regular memories, (laughs) so sorry, I want to tie in that our regular memories are stored differently than our memories that are traumatic memories because of certain parts of our brain shutting down during a trauma. Our regular memories are saved much like a story, right? With the sensations, feelings, and pictures all saved together. Think of a recent time you went out, or maybe you had a good time, went on vacation, went to dinner with friends, something fun, right? If nothing traumatizing happened during this time, you probably have memories that integrate both your sensory experiences with the conversations you had and the setting all wrapped into one. You can remember, you know, you and your friends, going out or when someone told a funny joke, um, you can remember the flavor of the food you ate at the dinner table, or you can remember a story or a joke, something that somebody did that had everybody rolling, right? You can remember all integrated parts of that experience. With a traumatic memory, your sensory experiences were stored separately from the memories themselves, which is often why people have flashbacks, right? Nightmares, or they might have recurring intrusive thoughts when an outside trigger reminds them of something that may have happened. The memories weren't correctly processed at the time and continue to provide what we call a stuck point to the brain. And this is why the conversation we had about bottom-up approaches to treating trauma was so important because we have to understand that the what and the why of the brain, oh, I'm sorry. We have to understand the what and the why of the brain to understand the how, because that's how we'll know how we can effectively engage in treatment and heal. I want to add that if we're able to teach and explain a concept, um, we're shedding light and bringing awareness in a new way. So like the saying, knowledge is power. What I love about the hand model of the brain is that it's simple enough for anyone to understand. So I work with elementary school kids and they're able to understand this information. And if quote unquote, each one teach one, (laughs) I'm throwing out all the catchphrases today. Um, It's that much more helpful to fight against the stigma that we have around mental health awareness. So In short, the hand model of the brain allows us to explain and understand how the brain's affected when under stress and trauma. 
If we can understand how the brain works and what happens in a traumatic situation, we know how to prevent or heal from traumatic experiences. Additionally, being able to teach and explain this concept is only helping us move in a way to continue fighting the stigma on mental health awareness. Hope that answer was helpful. Thanks for asking that question, guys. Now, our last question is going to be focused. Well, actually, it stems from this past question, which is pretty cool, I think. But the question that was asked was, how can you know if you've experienced trauma that you might have suppressed or forgotten? Which is a really great question. Um, And I I think it's a lot more common than people think. Um, First off, let me start by saying that a suppressed or forgotten traumatic memory isn't all bad. It means that your brain was doing what it had to do to help you survive and tolerate at the time. And our brains are pretty resourceful in that at the end of the day, it's going to do whatever it can to allow our beings to survive in the moment. And sometimes forgetting the memory is what has to be done. There are definitely signs and hints that can let you know you've repressed a memory. A lot of them have to do with what we just finished explaining, actually, from our first question. So the difference in how traumatic memories and regular memories are processed and stored. Some common indicators that you may have experienced or may have some repressed memories are having strong reactions to certain people. So is there a certain person in your life uh, for whatever reason or a certain type of person that you get around that really grinds your gears and you can't seem to understand why they put you in a place or bring you to a space where you just feel bothered, you feel, you know, like triggered by them and they cause you a great deal of stress or anxiety. Um Or if there's a specific place or situation that causes you to feel an extreme amount of stress. So both of these examples are hinting at this um, reminder that traumatic memories are stored differently in the brain and our sensory experiences are stored separately from the actual memory itself. So a lot of the times when we're reminded or triggered Um, by a person or a place, we experience those sensory experiences the same way we experience them in the moment. Um, And that's just a part of it being unprocessed and, you know, the memory kind of being that stuck point. So I want to point out that those are two, two really good indicators that there may be something going on or there may be a repressed memory that you haven't uncovered yet. Um, The third indicator that you might have a repressed memory. So difficulty controlling your emotions. And I don't mean, so everyone is going to have a moment when they're sad, right? (laughs) Or a moment when they are feeling angry or upset. We're not going to walk through life happy all the time. That's just not possible. What we can say though, is if you are somebody who identifies as being extremely emotionally labile, so you constantly or can think about several points in your day where you're really, really high up, really, really down low, getting really angry. There may be a reason why that is. Um, Maybe you're struggling with a fear of, insert your fear here. So I think a common one is fear of abandonment. And of course, you know, this is this is pointing towards somebody who's not fully aware of why they might have this fear. So some people know for a fact, you know, I'm, I have this fear because I, I, you know, I experienced something younger when I was younger. Um, 
But if you've never, if you, if you can't relate to that and you feel as though you don't, you can't think of a memory specifically where you were abandoned, that doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen to you. Just throwing that out there. If you're often called childish, um, and (laughs) this is, this is a funny one to think about because I think it's, it's almost popular now for folks to say, oh, you childish or, (laughs) but no, really, if you constantly revert back to maybe having a tantrum or childlike behavior, all or nothing behavior, mm, there may be a reason why there may be something going on that we haven't addressed yet. You haven't addressed yet. And I would highly encourage you to think about that. Um, There's a really good adage or phrase in the counseling world, specifically, I think, to do with that Lyrian therapy, but there's something behind everything, right? So there's no behavior that can just sit and be unexplainable. You know, there's a reason why we all do what we do. Um, And it's funny because we're talking about repressed memories and a lot of us may not even realize that that's what we're dealing with, but that you know, that thought or that reminder, there's something behind everything. Take a moment to think about it. Take a moment to see if that applies to you or not. Um, Okay, moving on to our sixth indicator. If you're dealing with chronic anxiety, so maybe you've always been somebody who was anxious, thinking the worst scenario, worst case scenario at all times, and you're not sure why, maybe revisit, maybe time to revisit, book a session with a therapist and, and get in there. And I would say the same for trouble managing anger, Um, self-sabotage. So here's one that's interesting because a lot of the times I hear clients say, well, I don't don't do that. Or if I do it, I'm not aware of it. (laughs) And that's the point. Because if you're self-sabotaging, you're not really aware (laughs) that you're self-sabotaging, right? Usually it happens because we put limitations on ourselves. We don't believe that we deserve nice things or we don't see this many nice things working out for us. So we automatically shut it down. We automatically say, this isn't going to happen. There's no way this can happen. We give ourselves the no, or we tell ourselves no before we allow the process to tell us no. If this is you, think about why. It's it's worth, it's worth um, looking into. Another um, indicator I found in the research is multiple health problems. So high blood pressure, diabetes, Um, even from what I have seen and heard of in the clinical world, sometimes developing seizures, a seizure disorder. So, and I, you know, there's really no way to a hundred percent say, oh yeah, you you have high blood pressure because of a repressed memory. That's, that's not possible. Um, but I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the ACEs study, the adverse childhood experiences study. Um, actually conducted by Kaiser Permanente. But what they found was individuals who experienced um, a, a, a certain number, a bigger number of what they called an adverse childhood experience. So an example of an ACE would be um, having a parent who was abusive, growing up in a divorced household, experiencing homelessness, being sexually assaulted or molested, There's a few more too, but those are some examples of adverse childhood experiences. But what they found was obesity and other health issues were linked. um, There was a higher number of ACEs for those people who were obese. 
So what they essentially found was sometimes, or a lot of the time, I guess I should say a lot of the time, according to the study, what the health problems were actually serving as was a symptom of a deeper issue. It was not the actual root. The root wasn't that they were overweight. The root was that they had experienced a childhood trauma. And the way that they coped with that root was by overeating or indulging in foods and, you know, not really taking the best care of of their bodies, which, you know, I think a lot of us are guilty of. But, you know, once again, let's think about it. Uh, I think a common misconception when you work in the substance abuse realm is that you can't integrate, you know, the the information about trauma and the brain because there's a very rigid way that NA and AA and a lot of the programs work. But once again, if we if we integrate this information and we couple it together, a lot of what people with substance abuse or substance use disorders are dealing with at the root is a childhood trauma. Okay. The substance was helping them cope with the trauma. And yes, they have a separate order for substance, uh, sorry, separate disorder for substance use. Um, But let's not forget that the root here is probably a memory that or something, an experience that they really haven't opened up about and may be repressed. So shout out to whoever asked this question. This is giving us some really great information and insight. Um, Another indicator would be cycles and patterns. So running to the same people getting into the same relationships over and over again, that the the name of the person changes, but what happens in the relationship and how the relationships end are all the same. Um, You get bored with them or you are very enmeshed with them and they become overwhelmed with that and they decide to call things off. There's probably a reason why these things are happening. You know, it's best to dig into it. This last bit right here, or this last point, I think is super important to acknowledge. If there are periods of time in your childhood that you do not recall, and you don't remember anything that happened in this time period, there's probably something there. And there's a reason why you don't remember. Um, it's tricky, because sometimes, sometimes we don't always remember our childhood. And I don't want to to leave anyone with the impression that, oh, I need to, I need to know everything that I ever did when I was young, because that's not the case. But if there are significant gaps, like you don't remember from ages five to seven or ages five to ten, or when you were in middle school, like nothing sticks out to you, I would highly encourage you to think about that and think of it as a reason to get checked out and talk to a a mental health provider about that experience because there's, there might be something there. Um, So if you've heard any of these and think, man, this sounds like me, um, I'm going to give you a prompt right now. I'm going to give you some instruction. So the best thing you can do would be to sit for a moment. Don't call anybody. Don't text anybody. Don't ask your mom, Hey, what happened when I was eight? You know, cause she's probably going to be like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Grab a journal if you can. And I want you to think about a recent disturbance that made you feel pretty uncomfortable. So this is something that happened within the last week, maybe last to last two, three months. Um, And really sit and think about what was it about this situation that made you upset and get to the root of it. Don't just say, well, he talked to me sideways. Okay. Did you feel powerless? Did you feel worthless? Did you think that there was a point in that situation where you weren't going to survive? Now, 
go back in your mind to the earliest time you had that feeling. So take maybe 10 or 15 minutes to do this. Um, and you can even play this back and, and pause it where where I asked you to get to the root. Because um, it may take you a minute to, to think about it. But go back in your mind to the earliest time when you had that sensation or that feeling. This is called the float back technique. Um, and it's a common tool used in EMDR eye movement desensitization and reprocessing to assist uh, the clinician in finding the target memory to begin reprocessing with the client. I would recommend meeting with an EMDR trained or brain spotting trained or IFS trained, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm talking about, dive into the episode before this where I talk about treatment modalities. Let them guide you to this point. It's repressed for a reason. It was too much for your mind to process at the time. So if you're experiencing any of the disturbances listed above to an even greater proportion, by all means, get with the therapist and have them work with you on building your coping strategies and your distress tolerance skills so you can go back and handle some pretty intense emotions and feelings. Those are some places to start. Um, This is, I attempted to make an exhaustive list. Um, I hope that I covered most of what you might be experiencing if you have a repressed memory, but I do want to add something here. If you aren't experiencing any unpleasant sensations or any of these feelings at all, then that means that you probably don't have any repressed memories that are impairing your daily functioning. So this is really important to note because it's not affecting or impacting your daily activities, you know, that's actually a really good thing. A lot of what we talk about in the mental health field is, you know, everything happens on a continuum, all behaviors happen on the spectrum. And if something is not impacting you or impairing you to the point where, you know, it it severely messes up your quality of life, sometimes that's, that's really signs of resilience and that, you know, whatever might have happened to you, something did happen, your brain was able to process it and move past it. Okay, it doesn't mean that you have to go back and uncover it and dig it up. If not, um, you know, and it is impacting your daily activities, then of course, that's reason to go and get some help and, and talk to somebody about it, you know. But if you are somebody who's listening to this podcast and you're saying, well, honestly, like I don't really have too many disturbances, or maybe you're someone who has already processed a lot of what has happened. And I think this is important to note as well. If you experience a trauma and you're able to talk through it with somebody afterwards, this is why psychological first aid is so important. And having attentive caregivers when you're a child is so important because if something bad happens to you and you're able to talk to your parents about it and process and and really like go through those memories and emotions with them and they provide that safe space for you, then more than likely you won't become affected by it. And congrats, your resilience is showing. Um, I'm getting the, the, the um, visual of, do you guys remember those? <laughs> I'm thinking about... Um, back in the day when we watched movies or TV where people would be digging for gold and they'd have those machines that would like beep, you know, over uh, if there was something there. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know, some of what we talked about earlier. So those physiological signs or the patterns or, you know, not remembering certain periods of your life. Those are like when the machine is like, Beep, 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 beep. Like it's it's definitely pointing towards something down there. There's a root down there. But if you don't have those experiences and the machine is quiet and there's no sound, 
There's no root or no block. No need to dig, dig around. Um, that means that you are resilient and your resilience is showing in that moment. So congrats. That's awesome. And there's far more. I just want to add there, there are experience, the experiences of post-traumatic growth and resilience after huge traumas occurred, right? There are stories and experiences of children who lived through 9-11 and remember seeing what happened with 9-11, but because they had psychological first aid or they had someone to process with immediately afterwards, they were not or have not so far in their life. This is a longitudinal study um, shown signs or symptoms of experiencing extreme PTSD. So just throwing that out there. Post-traumatic growth is a thing. Um, I want to thank everyone who submitted questions. So that concludes our question and answer session this time around. Um, super pumped about the trauma and the brain series, uh, biblical implication series, and all the feedback that I've gotten from everyone so far. So thank you, victorious listeners, for riding and rocking it out with me, listening and sharing with your friends. As always, continue you know, to tune in. Thank you for tuning in. Um, like, subscribe, share with a friend. Until next time, victorious listeners, it was great to be with you today.